I said to my husband, oh, look, we've got money we can spend. And he just sort of, yeah. But we can't go out and spend it. <laughs> that too. We're on the JobKeeper, which has really helped our business. You know, being a tourism business and you don't have tourists, it, it makes it pretty hard. So that, that extra help is really beneficial. The only approach I thought was when the rate bill came in, I thought, OK, let's pay for the whole year. Like, why, why not put that money to actually something that I really need rather than sit there and waste it? I don't understand why we're getting it, really. I'm kind of thinking we were coping OK without it. One of the groups I deal with here should be paying PAYG tax and GST and the so-called ATO cash boost has come back and we haven't paid anything and it, it makes us feel bad who are looking after things. Sure, it gives the organisation more funds to do other things with. Great, but it's not necessary. OK, strap yourself in. We're going to talk about COVID and money. Because has this pandemic affected the decisions you're making about money right now? Maybe you accessed your super. Did you receive some benefits? Did you spend more? Did you spend less? Maybe you're frustrated with the systems that say who's entitled to what and for how long. Maybe you're worried about when your income is going to come in. Hey, it's Penny Terry here with another episode of HealthSpeak. And while some of the money decisions are out of our control, we're going to talk about what is in our control when it comes to the money that's going in and out of our bank accounts and in and out of our communities. One of the voices you heard at the start is Sarah. She runs the Lowhead Tourist Park on the north coast of Tassie. And through this pandemic, she's accessed the JobKeeper and has started reducing those vulnerabilities of her business. Uh, we're looking, investigating just of restructuring our business, um, something, you know, we, you know we, we can't really rely just purely on, on tourism. So there, there is opportunities out there. So we do have um, income coming in. Sounds like it's been a perhaps a bit of a catalyst to, to make you think more broadly. Yeah, definitely. It was something we, we were planning or thinking about before before this all happened. Uh, it, tourism is a pretty tough industry to be in in Tasmania. The fact is we, we do have a very short season. So um, if, if we had all year round, it would be brilliant. But unfortunately, we, we don't. But having a really good um, peak season really helps um, get us through the low season and gives us time to do any essential maintenance or anything like that um, that's needed. Um, another another avenue is we, we get a lot of workers come and stay with us. We've got the um, Bell Bay Industrial Precinct and they've got a lot of workers coming through who need accommodation and a lot of other projects in the um, area from people wanting accommodation so you know if they need to get someone from somewhere else at least you know if they're utilizing local accommodation they're using local businesses and then there is some kind of economic benefit to um, the, the municipality. Now Sarah brings up something here that I wonder if you've been thinking about about where your money ends up now, you might remember from the first episode of this season when restaurant owner Bianca Welsh and I talked about how people were spending locally, even if they'd lost their job or money was tight, and we both teared up. I mean, have you thought much about where you're spending your money? Like, really thought about it? Are you ready to do that now? 
Nick Dendham is a partner in the financial planning division at Findex in Launceston. And he says, while it's not that glamorous, there is a foolproof way to check in on just how this pandemic has changed what's going in and out of our bank accounts and what that might mean for the future. Creating wealth isn't how much you earn, it's how much you save. If you're a low-income earner but you're saving $100 a week, $100 a month, um, compared to a high-income earner that spends it all, then that low-income earner is going to be better off in the long run. So, look, it's a very boring uh, thing to do, um, but the old budget is the best way of of starting out. I I don't like the word budget because, to me, it seems restrictive. I I use the word priority planner instead. Oh, priority planner, I like that. It's a bit more positive, but I also think that, you know, really, you can afford to do whatever you want, in essence, but... You know, it's, it's what you prioritise. So if the priority is putting food on the table over paying off a fancy car, then you're going to do that. Um, you know, paying off the mortgage, paying for electricity, uh, all those sort of things, which are the, the major priorities, uh, the other the focus. But sort of working out what that cash flow need is, sitting down, going through your, your bills for the last three, six months, and then extrapolating that for a year, you can sort of get start getting a picture as to what you need to, to live off. Um, and then, of course, you've got all that discretionary spending. So you speak you, you speak about people um, uh, saving a bit of money. That was probably that discretionary spending, you know, um, going to work in town and uh, spending your lunch hour walking through town and, and, you know, buying a bit of clothing you probably don't need, buying the takeaway coffee, getting the takeaway lunch. Uh, when you're at home, you don't have that that access to, to do that. Of course, there's online shopping, but... Um, you it's know, a trap. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's where people have saved. But on the flip side, you know, people are at home longer uh, or, or more and they're probably using more electricity. We've got a couple of lights on in here, which I normally wouldn't during the, the day. So... There's probably those costs which have gone up, so it's it's a bit of both. But yeah, I definitely found um, people were spending less, and and we saw that reflected with the, the some of the government measures uh, allowing retirees to take half their superannuation pension payments, their regular payments, um, on the back of people spending less, not meeting more money, allowing them to keep more in super. So that was a great initiative by the government. And another one too, people um, were able to put mortgages on hold for a period of time and most of them are coming back online now. So I'd imagine people's budgets need to be updated all the time. Yeah, definitely. Um, It was a bit of a trap, that one. I wasn't a massive fan because they weren't just allowing you to um, not pay back that money. So that money's now been capitalised over a longer period of time. So, look, I wasn't a massive fan of that. Uh, I suppose it was also the early access to super for people that had their hours reduced by 20%. Um, Again, you're hitting that retirement nest egg for later on in life, and I understand some people needed that access um, now to survive, and and if that was the case, then then that's great to give them that flexibility. I love it when I talk to people who work in finance because they've always got the long-term view. How do we form that habit? Because we're so used to looking at, you know, the short term, if you like. I need money now. I want to spend on this now. What What are your tips on forming good money habits? Yeah, look, um, for me, uh, I've got a little saying. Um, it's called removing the friction. So I feel that if you can can put the right steps in place um, to, to make things automated, then you remove that friction of having that extra money. So You don't see it. Yeah, that's exactly right. So setting up direct debits, you know, and everyone's different, but but personally, I, I have my pay, I get paid monthly, 
comes in on the 15th of each month. On the 16th of each month, I have roughly my, my monthly costs going to Aurora, going to Telstra, going to my private health, going to my income protection. So I've set up those direct debit payments so they're paid automatically. I don't see that that go. Um, and then obviously what's left is is budgeted to other things. Um, also there's you know the saying setting up for the long term, pay yourself first. So don't don't um, save what's left at the end of the month, but put a hundred dollars, fifty dollars, whatever it is, put that away when you get paid initially, um, paying yourself first and then you've got that all that other money for that discretionary item. So just a couple of things, but everyone's different. Um, you know, before COVID I used to like using cash, um, so physical cash, because I saw it was spending and it, it hurt to hand it over. The old tap and go, you know, no one sees it, no one um, worries about that and it's just, it's gone before you know. Yeah. When we're doing a budget, what are the practicalities of it? Do you do it on a hard copy? Do you get people to do it in a spreadsheet? I'm sure everyone's different, but what are some practical tips of sitting down, getting it done? What columns do I need to get set up? Tell yeah. me about it. Yeah, perfect. Um, Online, there is an abundance of resources. If you type in budget calculator, um, that will spit out numerous columns, uh, graphs of, of what you're spending. Look, they're great, um, but I would really uh, it, it really try and simplify it. Everyone knows their major expenses. You know, we, we either have a, a mortgage or we have rent. Um, we might have um, groceries, we know what we, we feed our, our families and our kids. We, we have insurances, our home and contents, car insurances, private health insurances, all those sort of things. So we have our big bills, our Aurora, our Telstra. They are often quite regular and, and often similar amounts. So knowing those amounts is a great starting point because that'll give you the, your big ticket items. Um, but often we find it's those smaller spending habits that eat into the budget. So it's the coffees on takeout, um, it's the lunches, it's the shopping, it's the entertainment. And I know, and we need to we need to spend, you know, life's life short, we need to spend money on that, but it's making sure we're not spending more than what what actually is coming in. So um, look, you could you could do it on a on an Excel document online. You could get a budget calculator. You could write it down. Um, I'd strongly suggest it's quite arduous, but strongly suggest just even for a month, track your bank accounts, track what you spend, know where you you spend money because you'll find that there's often a lot um, that goes certain places. I know you know you during COVID you might have your Netflix, but all of a sudden you've got your Netflix, your Stan, your Amazon, your Spotify, all these subscription based platforms which you look at and go oh, it's only six dollars a month or ten dollars a month but once you've got four or five or six it adds up so all those sort of things just tracking those things are really important also quite scary i'd imagine yeah absolutely you can give yourself a real shock and go well oh, you know and and maybe that's what some some people need in that regard a bit of a shock to say look i'm actually spending more than spending more than what i'm earning that's not that's not good we don't want to get into that habit do you think this pandemic has kind of given people a bit of a kick that they might need to relook at their finances and reassess? Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, and I think it's made people really realise what's important for them. So much in, in our world is keeping up with the Joneses. And I think it's fantastic that people have sort of started to take stock and go, right, what, what's, in, what's important to me? You know, I know personally spending more time with the family, at first I thought that would be a bit uh, crazy, but it's been fantastic. And those little little things that you do, a walk down the down the park or a bike ride with the family, I think is really just understanding what's important to, to everyone as an individual, I think has, you know, has been a, a good outcome from this. And um, unlike the GFC, which was all about money and all about finance, 
I think people's focus during this pandemic has been obviously on health and making sure people are okay and probably caring for others a bit more, which has been a, you know, a, a silver lining to, to what we're going through. It's such a nice thing to be reminded about because it doesn't take long watching the news for it to feel like lots of the decisions being made right now are about money. And some of those decisions can be hard to understand, which has led to some tricky conversations about what we're entitled to with managers, colleagues, our partners, our friends, and of course, the people on the other end of the phone at government services. A regular mental health clinician, Caroline Thane, has got some more tips about the tricky conversations, even the money ones. I think if you're not sure, is just keep asking questions. And I think it's easy, you know, especially if you're a young person and you've got someone who's perhaps older on the other end of the phone who uses big words and says really sophisticated things like that's not what you're entitled to, um, you can just take that as gospel. But if you're really not sure and you think this doesn't make any sense to me, um, I guess, you know, easy for me to say sitting over here, but try and be brave in those conversations and actually ask, say, look, I'm, I'm really not sure. I, I appreciate that's what you're telling me, but can you help me understand? And then they might give you a little bit more information. But often if the person on the other end of the phone also doesn't understand, it will prompt them to actually advocate for you. So make sure you've got all the information. If you've heard that somebody else who's in a very similar looking situation to you has received a different benefit, ask why. Um, that's okay. And, and you know, if you ask it in a way, again, that's not defensive, like, yeah, that will be helpful. And I'd imagine by getting more information then it might be easier to, I guess, settle it in your own brain. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, when you understand something, then you can feel a little bit more accepting of the result. Mm -hmm. If you don't understand it, it can actually make you feel anxious and then, you know, we can dip into that blaming stuff like we were talking about before. Well, they're just stupid, the government, blah, blah, blah. The other thing is it's also okay to get someone to advocate on your behalf. Um, and again, especially if you're a young person but also older Australians, I think, if, you're, if you just don't have any headspace to do that, then it's okay to ask somebody else to get the information for you. It can be really tricky, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. At different stages throughout this year, depending again on where you live, at times it can feel like COVID's gone because yeah. restrictions have been lifted, mm. things are getting back to normal and who knows what's around the corner. Mm. But how do we keep caring about mm. COVID when it feels like it's gone? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because I think it, um, I think it's exhausting, and I think there are moments where you just want to pretend like it's not there anymore. And it's funny, you know, in people's response to COVID, I'm seeing two extremes: so the ones that are totally avoidant of the whole thing, pretending that it doesn't exist, and ones that are very, very anxious. And then there are people somewhere in the middle. I think I'm probably somewhere in the middle, but yeah, I think it's actually important just. To remember, so the two things that I keep talking about is um, safety and kindness. Um, and really at the end of the day when you're not doing the right thing and socially distancing and maintaining your hand hygiene, um, thinking about all those really practical things, um, you're actually not being kind to other people or to yourself. But it is a fine line because you don't want to saturate yourself into it and then actually become quite unwell with your anxiety. So I guess it's about 
reminding yourself about the habits that we've created and to think perhaps about this is something we're going to have to do for a little while now. I've got a five-year-old and he said to me, Mum, when is the sickness going to be over? Because isn't it over because I'm allowed back in the playgrounds? Mm. How do we have these conversations with kids explaining that it's gone but it's not gone it's we can do this but we can't do that um what are some tips um first and foremost it's so important to be age appropriate obviously you're not going to sit down with your five-year-old and have big huge conversations about the world and you know death rates and all those sorts of things that would be very inappropriate um but yeah I think it's important that we still have those conversations in a um again age appropriate language and way and I suppose for your five-year-old it's about um, juggling that honesty versus how how much do you give and I think that can be dependent on the individual Um, and I think really practical things like actually this is just important regardless if that disease sickness is out there this is just important for us to do and I think that's why it's easy for some people to actually just try and forget like it's not there because There's some grey in a lot of this, which is tricky for adults, let alone kids. Hmm. Is there some grey in the way you're upkeeping the pandemic practices? Like, seriously? I'm not the only one who's wondered how we can keep it all up. How do we continue to care about this pandemic when in some places, at some times, it feels gone? Perhaps the other part of that question is... How do we make sure we're ready for whatever happens next? Firstly, just at that practical level, let's check in with our favourite fitness instructor, Kylie Moore. I think we'll be more prepared for it. Um, We'll be more prepared to be able to do more things online for people. We'll be able to get things out there for people. Before, it was just like one minute was here and then the next day we wasn't. (laughs) It just all stopped. So we couldn't even sort of say to people, look, we'll do these Zoom classes or we'll do these things online or, you know, you can go to this online site to do some exercises. You know, we just didn't have that opportunity before. So I think this time we're more prepared. If it does happen, we can say, you know what, we've got these other alternatives, these things we can do so we can still stay connected, we can still work out, we can still, you know, feel good. Um, even though we can't come together in the group to to work out or or anything. So, yeah. And what about what we're noticing in people six months into this? Sarah from the Lowhead Tourist Park says she can still see the goodwill despite the exhaustion. I think at this stage now they're just kind of over it. They're just sick of hearing about coronavirus and being reminded for the millionth time how to wash their hands and, you know, not, not to touch your face. And I'm, I'm pretty impressed with the businesses in, in Georgetown. They've, they've adapted really well. They've, um, you know, they've changed their, the way they've done things to, to try and, you know, as much as they can to trade um, during the restrictions. They've done so brilliantly and um, I think, you know, as a whole, you know, we, we, we will get through this, um, yeah. And let's check back in with Maureen Lacey from Harcourt's East Tamer. And what she's noticed is that we've all noticed things about ourselves. Um, We're all too busy. Like, I think that's the main thing. And when you you strip down and look at what's important, um, I think, I hope we will actually reflect on this time of going, 
um, identifying what is important to us. Um, it's confirmed that people don't like change. Um, and I've been surprised that people have been so obedient with the changes. Um, but I think when it's explained, and I guess that's where leadership comes in, when it's explained why we need to do it, um, and it's not necessarily a stick approach, even though the government has fines and things, it's more about this is what we need to do together. We're only gonna beat this together. And this is what we're doing to protect everybody. And everyone can do their own part. And I think that's been an interesting observation of our community in general. and. The change happened so quickly, but people, they might not have liked it, but they did it. And I think that proves to me that um, sometimes we resist things because we don't want to go through that pain of change. But sometimes if you just implement it, like with obviously the consultation, it's a better way on the other side. I reckon you've already thought about this stuff, how you dealt with the change, how others did, and perhaps what ongoing change you'd like to see in your community so that we can live well, or even better, during a pandemic. Let's talk with Nicholas Hookway again. You'll remember Nick from the previous episodes. He's a sociologist and a senior lecturer at the University of Tasmania, and he loves looking at the big picture stuff, particularly those things that can be done to shape our community structures to help us be better connected into the future. That's such an important question because... We have to be careful that the burden of loneliness doesn't just fall upon individuals. It's about good policy makers, it's about politicians, it's about community leaders thinking about how we can put in place, you know, the, the social infrastructure for connected and healthy um, communities and, and cities. So I've got four tips that we could right. we could talk about. So the first one is about designing walkable, social and flexible public spaces. So we know that many of us have experienced that that cabin fever as we've been um, forced into lockdown, uh, a craving for social contact and exercise. So we need to make sure that our cities and suburbs are designed to support physical and social activity, uh, making them cycle and pedestrian friendly. And we felt that um, in, in Tasmania during the height of lockdown where people would, you know, I'm a regular runner, so I was amazed by how busy the running trails and tracks were and it was fantastic to see how many people were out walking and jogging and I wonder if physios did a great, great business because I'm sure there's a whole bunch of new injuries as people like taking to exercise in, in new, new ways. So designing cities in a way and suburbs that aren't just about, you know, car dependence, but being able to move easily through those spaces. The second one would be about integrating public and online spaces, um, how we can use our new communication skills online to help bring people together so using our new digital savviness to organize physical meetings to help it's like a pokemon go kind of business that stuff that sort of stuff absolutely because yeah. look the online stuff is helpful but the evidence shows that it's helpful in the way in in a supplementary way we don't want to rely on the online stuff we want to use it to help us get together face to face there's a there's a magic that happens face-to-face -face, and if you can use the digital technology to help with volunteering, with socialising, with, you know, exchanging ideas for uh, how to use that new herb that you've just grown in your in your backyard, then, then that's great. Um, the third one would be about providing quality housing 
you know, COVID-19 has really exposed that. Um, suddenly we're having the house and how we use the house has changed. It's not just about, it's about working, studying, relaxation, having a place where we can seek privacy, um, have a green space, um, fresh air, light, all those things. And of course, not everyone has access to that. So there was that very different the effects of COVID-19 won't be and haven't been felt evenly. Um, for, for those of us who are lucky enough to have a larger house with a backyard, you know, that we're in a very privileged position. So I think moving forward, we have to think about um, how we design our homes to incorporate these sorts of needs. Um, and the last one is that we need to think about different needs and, and, and keep stigma in mind. Um, we know that people who are homeless, for example, have been exposed greatly to the vulnerability of around COVID-19. We know that people living alone, as I mentioned, one in four Australians live alone. Uh, they are a greater increase of loneliness. So we need to think about the different needs of these groups. Older Australians who don't have um, great mobility um, and also some of the safety around having centralised living arrangements like nursing homes, like how we can better manage manage that and prioritise housing that reduces isolation and promotes social connection. I wonder how many of these you think we should do anyway. Nick's four points are drawn from the work of his colleague Roger Petulny. He's a sociologist from the University of Wollongong and you can check out his latest article in The Conversation. I'll put that link in the show notes along with some handy links from our financial planner Nick Dendham who we met earlier on COVID-specific financial information. So there's some more life skills for our COVID kits which is what this season of Health Speak five episodes has been about. Filling up our toolboxes with the sort of life skills that we all need to deal with life right now. We've learned skills that help us to cope with uncertainty and to track our moods, to become more aware of the habits that help us get on with life and the ones that don't. We then learned how to deal with this social distancing stuff, both the practical and emotional stuff, and we delved into the life skills that we need to check in on each other, to create workplaces that help us stay connected, and of course, to cook food that actually gets eaten. And then of course today, skills for the money stuff, and how we continue to keep caring when it feels like it's been going forever. It's been a huge season. It's been a huge year. We've met some awesome people who have really let us learn by sharing their experience and their knowledge. And I think perhaps what's happened is they've helped us become more aware of how this pandemic is affecting us. Before we go, I'd like to give a massive shout out to our sponsors, Bell Bay Aluminium, who gave us the goods to get this season up via the Georgetown Council as part of the Healthy Georgetown Project. And that's it for season three of Health Speak. Go forth, live well during this pandemic, but please stay subscribed. Or if you're not, go and hit that big button now because you never know when or why we'll pop up again and what you might learn just by listening. I'm Penny Terry. Thank you for listening to Health Speak. Health Speak.